Hey, welcome to Black, Red, Yellow, episode 12. Uh, we got an awesome guest on the program today. He is a freelance writer. Uh, you can find him covering the Canucks on the PatCast. We got Jeff Patterson. What's going on, Jeff? Uh, well, I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you guys, watching a little hockey, you know, just another night in the life of oh, Jeff Patterson. Life, life is good then, right? Because you're talking to us. Uh, life's terrific. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're pulling you away from that uh, that Game 7 in the Edmonton one. Uh, what do you take of this so far? The first period just passed. Are, who are you rooting for, by the way, in this one? No real rooting interest. Uh, you know, I, just in this line of work, I've kind of lost the, the – the fandom has been beaten out of me, if you will. Uh, so I'm an interested observer. I love the game, love watching hockey, love playoff hockey, and watched an awful lot this spring. Uh, most of that's because uh, the Canucks aren't playing, so I find myself with a fair bit of time on my hands uh, in, you know, in those windows of – 4 to 10 p.m. and uh, have uh, glommed on. I mean, I love the first round of the playoffs, and and that goes back years, and it's fun when the Canucks are involved, but even when the Canucks aren't, I still, I I just so anticipate the first round of the playoffs, and I thought to this point, round two has been pretty good as well. Uh, Underwhelmed by the Washington Capitals uh, as they bow out to Pittsburgh, and uh, again, we'll see what happens here as the game unfolds, uh, Edmonton and Anaheim, but... uh, kind of looked like the Ducks uh, watched the same pump-up video the Washington Capitals did before Game 7. I didn't think Anaheim had an awful lot uh, in the opening period, so uh, I would uh, suggest to them that they find a way to up their game here uh, because uh, they weren't very good in the first period. No, no, and you talked about it being beaten out of you. So what's this going on years for you know covering hockey? Is this over 20 years now? Uh, it is, yes. Uh, for me, I go back... Uh, you know, I guess I look at my career. Uh, I did campus radio at UBC in my days as a student there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years at CITR and kind of did a little bit of everything. And that's, uh, you know, I, I had the bug to get into broadcasting from a young, young age. I grew up in a in a radio household where the radio was always on. Talk radio, CKNW back in the days was the big, the mighty 980. And it was just my parents always listened. And so from morning through night, radio was on and just kind of developed this love affair and I would say from the time I was eight or nine, I, I, you know, that was kind of something I wanted to pursue and just kept doing the things I needed uh, along the way to put myself in position to uh, you know, take a run at it. And uh, went through UBC and went to the campus station and all my buddies were out on Friday and Saturday nights at frat parties and stuff. And I worked my way to the occasional fraternity party. But, but I spent a lot of my Friday and Saturday nights at uh, Thunderbird Stadium or War Memorial Gym. Uh, the Winter Sports Center out there calling football and hockey and basketball games. And, you know, it was great at that time. And again, to sort of date myself here, this is pre-internet. So now where <laughs> if anybody wants to be a broadcaster, you know, it doesn't matter what level of hockey. Like it just seems everybody, uh, every game, everywhere, uh, somebody is calling play-by-play. Back in the day, and I say that uh, like I'm 100 years old, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, but in my days at UBC, there were a lot of nights where in the city of Vancouver, Jim Robson was doing a Canucks game and I was doing play-by-play for the UBC Thunderbirds and we were the only two guys delivering play-by-play <laughs> hockey over the airwaves of any kind, like actually broadcasting to an audience. And I would imagine that Jim's audience was uh, considerably larger than the one I had on yeah. campus radio at Maybe UBC. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that just kind of indicates where the uh, the industry has gone over the last couple of decades. But uh, yeah, got into it uh, there and then went to BCIT and... From there, uh, you know, actually got uh, a paying job in Kamloops and spent six years in Kamloops, five of them doing play-by-play for the Kamloops Blazers. And uh, the last 17 years, I guess, I've been uh, here in, in Vancouver. 
Yeah, and you're absolutely right. There are some definitely radical changes happening to this industry, uh, especially just by the proof of us talking right now. Um, how do you see exactly, you know, the way this, this industry is changing, affecting just the quality of radio or just content in general? And have you noticed it changing significantly because of how accessible it now is? Oh, I, I think it's great. Uh, I mean, I wish I had some of these opportunities. Uh, you know, when I think of cutting my teeth early in the business and making my mistakes, I mean, my mistakes were made over the air for people to hear like now it's such a good training ground and whenever i speak to young broadcasters aspiring broadcasters or students out of bcit and i generally get out and talk to, to bcit classes once a year and i always say like if, man if you're not doing a podcast if you're not writing your own blog like you are missing the boat these are great opportunities for you to develop your skills to make some of your mistakes early on uh when really nobody is listening and you know again you, you just it's the hours are you're logging time in front of a microphone and, and getting those experiences. So, uh, again, if anybody's listening to this podcast and, you know, sort of is thinking along those lines of that's something that I, I would want to pursue, uh, get on it. If you're not already doing a, a, a yeah. podcast and a, you know, and a blog and, and, you know, if you think play by play and play by play is great. Like I loved my years doing play by play and I was lucky. I, 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 my first year in Kamloops, they won the Memorial cup on home ice. So, here I am, a kid in my fairly early 20s. Uh, I wanted to be in the Western Hockey League broadcasting games by the time I was 30. And as it turned out, I got out of the Western Hockey League uh, as a broadcaster before my 30th birthday. So, you know, things change in life and you set these goals. But my first year on the job, you know, they're, they're hosting the Memorial Cup. They're the defending champs. They win it again. Darcy Tucker and Shane Doan, Jerome Ginland. Jason Strudwick, Nolan Baumgartner, Brad Lukowicz, like all these guys that went on to good, long NHL careers. Uh, Ginland Doan still going strong. Uh, you know, that was, they were all on the same junior team back then. And uh, it was unbelievable. And uh, it was a ton of fun. And I enjoyed my five years doing play-by-play. -play, but uh, again, you know, things in my life changed and uh, met my now wife. But uh, she was didn't start as my wife. It's funny how that works in life. Yeah, didn't start sometimes. out as my wife. Um, but uh, we worked together at the radio station and she moved to Vancouver and I kind of chased after her and the rest is history. And so, you know, I, I loved every minute of doing play by play, but uh, again, things change and I decided that uh, it was time to, to grow up a little bit. But as to your question about how it's changed the industry, I mean, we're seeing it all the time. I mean, just look at uh, the success that guys have had. Uh, you know, blogging and turning blogs into paying gigs and guys that have climbed the ladder and we see it here and some of the work that I've done with Canucks Army. I mean, that's one of the best examples of guys that have used the blogosphere, cover the National Hockey League. You know, they found a niche on the analytics side that wasn't being covered, that wasn't being, you know, their wants and needs weren't really being served by the mainstream media. And they took that ball uh, there were some smart guys that recognized that was an area of growth in and around the game of hockey. And now guys have been hired by National Hockey League teams. And, you know, just a decade ago, that would be unimaginable to think that somebody that hadn't worked through the traditional channels of hockey and sort of cut their teeth and spent countless hours in, you know, Moose Jaw or Prince Albert or wherever, whether it's as a broadcaster or a scout, you know, to think that these guys could climb this corporate ladder and play pivotal roles in National Hockey League front offices now. Right. Just, it would, I mean, that would be crazy talk a decade ago, and here they are, and these guys have used the power of the internet and the blogosphere beautifully. Like, it's just such a perfect example of a way that the game of hockey, the business of hockey, has changed. 
And do you think that's what kind of adds into the frustration of the market? I mean, uh, what you see with the, I, I don't want to say older media, but let's just say the, uh, okay, older generation, that's how I'm going to put it politely. Uh, is, is that why you see kind of frustration towards the analytical community and the bloggers and and whatever websites they run because they don't have to take as much risk as your generation did. Like they don't have to walk up, you know, the good old uh, hill both ways up, <laughs> uphill and you know, they don't have to go to Moose Jaw. They don't have to go to, you know, the armpit of Canada. I'm not saying Moose Jaw was the armpit of Canada. I was saying uh, the armpit of Canada is a hypothetical place. Uh, it's in merit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay. We lost our merit listener. Um, yeah, but like, is that why you kind of see the gravitation towards people getting frustrated towards the analytical community? They don't. They have to start up a website. They have to have domain costs, uh, and they have to know how to, you know, rip a game sheet and throw it into Excel. Like, there's no risk. Is not as much risk anymore. Like, could that exist when you were going through it originally? The fear of the unknown. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's like anything. Oh, isn't it? It's, it's survival of the fittest, right? And I mean, if that's the way the industry is going, I do know. I think you're you're onto something there. That a lot of people in the mainstream media that you know had pretty cushy gigs and were flying around North America and watching hockey and you know were expected to write a game story and that was it. And then the, the internet came along and the pressures of their workload. They were expected to contribute to the web, but also write these game stories and you know, the, the industry has changed, and there's no doubt that it's changed. And some would say, hey, maybe it hasn't changed for the better. I, I'm a big believer in progress. And so, you know, I think you have to be willing to adapt. I think you have to figure things out and find out what people want. And I think one of the big changes that we've seen here recently is just with the amount of information available to consumers now, when I say consumers, hockey fans, um, you know, the traditional game over story, what happened in the game? Like, that's just not necessary anymore. We all know what happened in the game. We all watched it. We, you know, lived along with it in a couple of screens, and we were able to comment on it as the game unfolded. You don't need the traditional, here's what happened in the game, and here's a couple of quotes uh, from a player and a coach about it. And, you know, so I, I think we've had to find new ways to cover hockey, and the guys that have been able and are willing to sort of reinvent themselves and forget a lot of what they learned at journalism school way back when you know those are the guys that are having some success and i think some others and i'm not saying everybody i mean the industry itself has changed and jobs have disappeared uh not through the fault necessarily of some of the journalists but i think you're seeing the guys that are willing to uh, experiment and try to incorporate some of the things that you know the the analytics community has has brought to the forefront now you know and some of those are guys are, are having some success and i look at something like the provies now um, you know, Botch has hit on something. Like he just, he has. Like that's become must read. And I know that so many people, and I find myself like on a game night, like I'll work a game, I'll do the post game show, work till midnight, I'm exhausted, I come home. But part of the routine is you can't shut it down until you've read the Provies that night. No, you can. And, you absolutely can. And, and like that is, I mean, that right there, I mean, that's the very definition of must read. Um, you know, even it was a game that I covered, a game I was at, a game that I commented on, and yet I still I need to see you know what botches come up with in the provies night in and night out. And so uh, I'm really curious to see like he's hit on something, but somebody else will come along with something that you know matches that, or maybe pushes the boundaries in a different direction. Uh, there'll be a, a, a new way to cover the Canucks that you know, who knows, maybe hasn't even been on Earth yet, and I certainly look forward to that. Yeah, and going back to content, like. It 
I, I've seen like more of a gravitation towards like I don't know what it's called like takeisms or something where everyone's trying to have the best take in hockey where it's it's exactly what you said like we all watch the exact same thing we all communicate it through some form of social media and that vehicle uh but all of a sudden like it's like you said the game within the game who had the best take of the game you know who who said the most radically somewhat stupid thing that we can all talk about after and it seems like that is kind of what takes over you know, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't Subban playing an awesome game. It was uh, Subban's a three-four defenseman that took over the conversation in the Nashville series. Uh, just that ended last uh, this week, right? And, um, and one uh, of the things that and I don't want to say it frustrates me about the industry, but I, I'm not a huge fan of. And there are so many of these aggregation sites now that you know will take a tweet, somebody with a clever tweet, and all it takes is a tweet now to become a, a thousand-word story, and. I, I'm still big on original content. I'm big on right. people and their own thoughts. And, and you know, I, I want to believe that some of these guys that have been writing hockey and have been following it and built the contacts and can still get the, you know, they've got the access and the information. I think it can be conveyed in different ways now that don't require, you know, this is what happened in the first period of the game, then to the second period. Uh, you know, you can still take all of, uh, the tools that you have as a, a writer uh, in the game of hockey, but you have to apply them slightly differently. And, and those are the guys that I want to read. And I understand that some of these guys think like, this is the job that they've got, and that is to you know just compile as many tweets uh, about a game. That just doesn't hold nearly the cachet. Again, I'm on Twitter an awful lot. I've probably seen most of those tweets. So to see them compiled and then just kind of regurgitated, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah. Well, Kale and I think uh, we were talking about earlier about this about how people can and take some content and then they can kind of twist like say a headline and turn it to whatever they uh, they want. I think we saw that recently with your your uh, your article discussing you know the Sedins and uh, just their upcoming uh, basically the upcoming year. The big question is: Are the Sedins in their last season with the Canucks? And if so, are they going to trade? Are they going to withhold salary? xyz so what we did i can let my brother kind of take on from this but we we went through some of your your last five uh article names and what was the last one kaylin if you have it well, up the the most curious one was the trade the cities one because i believe the, the headline was train the cities makes no sense from any angle and and i gotta admit i was guilty of it i'm scrolling through reddit and i see trade the cities one problem who would want them and uh i mean I, upon reading the article and seeing the real headline i kind of had a chuckle so yeah so I don't yeah. Know, yeah, like what is your take on that when you see your own article kind of out there in, in a different light? Well, it's funny because I, I generally don't see the hard copy of the newspaper. I, you know, I, I just I live a digital life. I think like most people do, and quite often the headline that accompanies the story online is different than the one that is actually in print on Sundays. It's a Sunday column, uh, but a lot of times I'll submit it on a Friday. It'll be you know turned out Friday night or on Saturday. And the digital headline is different than the one in print. And it took me a while to figure that out. And so, um, like the twins of the Sedins one last week that I wrote, you know, my whole thrust is I just don't think there's a team out there that is going to look at the twins at the deadline next year and think, man, that's exactly what we need. We need at a time when this game is getting younger, stronger, faster, more so than ever before, and youth is being served in the NHL we need not one, we need two 37-year-olds to you know, help us in this playoff push. And again, it's not to suggest that the Twins can't play. And I, I think 
under Travis Green. I think, you know, a new coach and some new ideas and maybe a, a you know, a, a stable line mate for much of the same of the season if they can all stay healthy. Like, I think the recipe is there for them to have, I don't want to call them bounce back seasons at this stage of their career, but I think they can be more productive uh, if the power play can be better and I, how can it be any worse. You know, I, I think that they can produce some numbers next year. So I don't think they're done. But I just think as a commodity, if teams are looking to make trades ahead of the trade deadline to bolster their Stanley Cup run, I just I, I don't see a general manager that's going, yeah, that's exactly what I need. Two 37-year-olds who are going to be seven years removed from any sort of playoff success. And, you know, an owner is going to sign off on that and think, yeah, we'll give up. I mean, again, you talk about precious commodities in the National Hockey League today. It's young prospects and draft picks. And so is a team going to part with so it's not, you know, there's, so when I saw who'd want them, like, I thought, really, like, who, who came up with that? Like, that, that's not at all, you know, that, that wasn't where my head was. That wasn't how I wrote this thing. And so at first I kind of laughed and then I rolled my eyes when I saw it. And it was totally different in print. I can't even remember what the, I think you may have even told me what the print headline was, but it was different than, than the digital headline. So uh, it took me a little while to figure that out and to sort of understand it and, Again, I don't have anything to do with the headlines. I submit the column and where it goes and what they do to make it come out in the newspaper. That's uh, up to other people there. And I think a lot of times people will judge you on the headline, right? They see the headline and Mm -hmm. decide right there if they even want to read the story. So I took a fair bit of backlash last week from, you know, Canuck fans, hardcore Canuck fans uh, that thought I was dumping on the Canucks or on the Twins and who would want them. And that wasn't at all uh, the thrust of that column. But, uh, you know, and so when I heard from people in social media, I basically would just say, like, did you read the column? Did, you, read or did, you, did yeah. you just get sucked in by the headline? And a few people admitted that, no, they just stopped at the headline. I had nothing to do with the headline. So it's Jeff, a, you, you know, our generation, we don't, we don't read anymore. Seriously, people I know. Um, yeah. So, you know, is it a little bit of a frustration? I suppose, uh, again, I just, I feel when I hit send, uh, I've kind of done my part of the column and where it goes from there that's uh, out of my control. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty clear. Like, like that just goes right back to that hot takery kind of thing we were talking about. And, I, and you know, obviously we saw that thing happening with Rob Rossi. I think this name, the Pittsburgh columnist. And it's, right. There's definitely this battle going on between, like, people who are trying to make legitimate conversation and the people who just want the headlines. And so, I mean, do you have any advice for people? Like, I mean, like, even like us who are trying to create these conversations, uh, you know, in that battle against the hot takery? Because I think a lot of people are afraid that that's the direction, if you can even call it journalism, is going. And so it it does seem like there's a battle, and and I don't know if we're on the losing end of that. Uh, I don't think you're on the losing end of it at all. I mean, I think what you guys are doing is great. And it goes back uh, again, whether it's just for a hobby or if some people, you know, are trying to do this to break into the industry, you know, you, you, you have to do some things to get noticed. There's no question. And so, uh, unfortunately for some people, that means screaming and yelling and trying to be the loudest. And, and, you know, in some ways that might get the attention. Uh, you might not be able to hold the attention though, right? Like, I mean, if you, come up with a couple of hot takes and, and people think, oh, okay, I'm going to check this guy out. I'll follow him on Twitter or I'll give him a listen. You know, people aren't dumb. And if you can't hold up your end of the bargain regularly, then, you know, there's too many options out there. So, you know, you have to do, you got to be yourself ultimately and hope that you can cultivate an audience and then, and then keep it. But yeah, I mean, again, uh, the goalposts are changing all the time here and, and nobody has the answers yet. And, like I've been caught up in it too, like trying to 
figure out, you know, what is my niche? I was one of the early guys on Twitter that, you know, tried to come up with some stats that nobody else had. And it wasn't advanced stats. I was a guy that looked for trends uh, for the Vancouver Canucks and, you know, would try to come up with numbers and, and, and do some things. And I think I had some success that way. And not everybody likes them. I hear from a lot of people, you know, your statistics are always negative. You know, anybody can spin the numbers. And you're right. I mean, you can make the numbers tell you. There's a statistic for just about everything. But that was one. I mean, it was a, a concerted effort on my part to sort of set myself apart from the rest of the people that were covering the Canucks on a regular basis. The Canucks would score a goal at a game, and I would see six guys on press row, you know, Canucks score. Like, that was their tweet. Great. <laughs> like, we're all living it. Like, it, we all saw it. We're, we're there. Like, you know, and so I would try to come up with, you know, some, somebody's first home goal of the season or, you know, just something that's another layer to it to add something. My whole thing in life as a sportscaster, this is one of sort of my most fundamental beliefs is tell people things they don't know. Don't tell them things they already know. Like that doesn't accomplish anything. And again, it's one of the things that I always try to convey to young broadcasters. And I would say more now than ever, uh, again, with all of the information that's available to us, hey, don't tell. So when guys go on the radio and you know, you're doing a sports cast or even on a talk show, like, don't tell me things I know. Like, try and find something that's going to make somebody sit back and go, like, holy crap. Like, you know, where'd that come from? Like, you know, there's a, an original thought. There's somebody that's done a little legwork, done some homework. Um, and so, you know, if you're hosting a talk show four hours of it, it's not going to be all brand new material that, you know, nobody right. else has thought of. But I'm trying, I'm always on the hunt for those nuggets of information that that nobody else has. And so that's just kind of where I come from and what I think that I bring to uh, the job, whether it's in print or online or when I'm on the radio as well. What do we have? We have nothing that, that sets us apart. Keon. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. our, our grandpa hated the Montreal Canadians so much that when he got traded to the Montreal Canadians, uh, he literally quit hockey. So yeah, that's our hot take for the day. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. That's 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 some serious <laughs> hockey hatred. I I grew up in a household. My brother was a hardcore Montreal Canadian fan, and so uh, uh, all these years later, I find myself and again. I talk about fandom as a kid. I grew up. I was a Canucks fan. I born and raised here uh, in North Van, and uh, I have two older brothers. One was a huge Canucks fan. One was a Montreal Canadiens fan. Uh, this goes back to the early seventies. You can imagine who had uh, a little more fun cheering on his team. Uh, we, still, we still accuse my the one brother of you know, just being a bandwagon guy when he was old enough to figure things out that he latched onto the Montreal Canadiens. Um, he claims that that wasn't the case and that he just you know that was a team that uh, he gravitated to. Uh, so you know he had bragging rights for a long, long time there uh, in the late seventies as the Habs were winning Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup. And of course, uh, we all know that uh, anybody that is partial to the Vancouver Canucks still waiting. For that big day when they get their hands on the trophy yeah. next next year, I've been told next year. Oh, good. Okay, I'm just making yeah. Note of that. It was on, it was on the message boards and it was on yeah. Uh, yeah. So I believe it. Hot I've take. my time. Yeah, that's a hot take. First, Jeff Patterson guarantees Canucks Stanley oh. Cup win. Well, that's we how the headline writer is going to write that, is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're yeah, actually the headline writer as we've been talking about this entire time. We put, <laughs> we put that up and did it. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, you, you call yourself a Canucks fan. I'm curious, like, covering the team for so long, how has that kind of, like, affected your fandom? And, and just 
you know, can you speak about how it affects press and journalists, uh, fandom in general? And like, it, do you ever find it tougher to cheer for the Canucks or do you find it even sweeter just because you cover them, you know, on a 24 seven basis? And sorry, just to add in, are there any Canucks fans in the press box anymore or is it kind of yeah, everything? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's totally said? changed. Again, the lines have been blurred. I mean, the Canucks employ, you know, their own, they've got a, a digital department that's in the press box now and those they're on the payroll and they are, they're pulling hard for the Vancouver Canucks. And, and, you know, again, to each their own. Everybody's got a mouth to feed. They got to make a living. But that is a big change in the industry now, where you know the teams control a lot of the message and the way that uh, information is disseminated. And you know, every team in every pro sport now uh, has these departments that, you know, again, fans have to realize that sometimes access comes with a price. And so, if you're reading stories on the Canucks website, you know, you have to know that. Hey, it might be a nice story about a player, but it's going to have a pro hockey club slant. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so, uh, you know, if you're looking for impartial, honest, sometimes, you know, harsh critique, you're not going to find it on the Canucks website. But the Canucks website offers, I mean, again, they control the message, they control the access. And so they're going to have some exclusive things that uh, other people just won't have. So you have to, you know, you, again, you, you always got to consider the source and, and kind of what the angle is. Uh, here, but yeah, things have changed in that regard. For me personally, I want to be alive when the Canucks win a Stanley Cup, and I have seen them get to three finals now, and I uh, have seen the Stanley Cup presented on Vancouver Ice twice. I was there as a kid in 1982. My best buddy took me to to both of the, the home games when they got swept by the Islanders. Uh, but I mean, that's pretty cool as a, a young guy who uh, you know loved hockey growing up to get to go to Stanley Cup final games then. And then in 2011, uh, you know, again, was there sort of every step of the way covering uh, that run. And, and that's probably the most fun that I've had in this job uh, to do a day in, day out uh, for two months there in the spring to see them get to a game seven at home, uh, ultimately to lose, though. So we're still waiting uh, to see them win the Stanley Cup. And I want to see this city and how it reacts. I mean, I've seen how the city reacts when they don't win the Stanley Cup. You know, I want to be there and uh, I'm hoping that I'm on the job still, but uh, I just want to be alive. Uh, when the Vancouver Canucks ultimately win a Stanley Cup. But uh, lots of work to do. Uh, I don't really think that it's going to happen next year. Just kind of let me in on a little secret. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, fandom for me, um, I, I said earlier, it's kind of been beaten out of me. I, I just, you know, I, I don't cheer for anyone. I, uh, I've enjoyed establishing relationships with a lot of the players. Um, but it stays at the rink. I wouldn't call them friends. I, I would say that I am friendly with enough of them at the rink in those moments when the room is open to the media and, you know, can have small talk with guys uh, about things not related to hockey. And that just comes with being on the job for a while. And I've been around this team. I mean, essentially, I started when the Sedins arrived. So, you know, I've been around those guys an awfully long time. And you know, gotten to know them, and, and they both seem like remarkably good guys uh, and have been terrific hockey players, but, you know, there's no fan in me. I'm not cheering for them. Uh, I'm there to cover the hockey team. I'm there to, you know, ask some tough questions. I, I've got access that the fans don't, and so, you know, I, I never lose sight of that. I mean, I'm there, and I try hard to ask questions of players and coaches and management that I think the fans would want asked, you know, if they were given that opportunity. If they had the press pass, not everybody can have a press pass. And so I, I, I've been fortunate enough to have the access to the Canucks uh, for almost two decades now. 
And, you know, that it's a job. It's a good job. I enjoy it. Uh, when the games are going on, hey, I'm there. I'm getting paid to watch hockey. That part of it's pretty cool. Uh, all these years later, I still think that's pretty awesome. I realize when I look down at the stands and there's 18,000 people that have paid to get in. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be among those that uh, is there on the job getting paid to, to watch and cover hockey. But, you know, I, I just come at it neutrally. And, and I have a lot of people that think, oh, you know, you hate the Canucks or, you know, you've got it in for the Vancouver Canucks. And I, I just, I don't, I, I don't at all. Uh, I think the last couple of years, they've been a terrible hockey club. That's going to be reflected in the coverage. Let's be honest. There hasn't been an awful lot to get excited about. And when I get people to tell me, you know, the last couple of years, you, you, know, you just you stick the knife into the packs. And I, I just think, man, like, I look at it and I think, how many good news stories were written about Bo Horvat and his emergence this year and Troy Stetcher and Trampkin and, you know, Bar Brock Besser at the end of the season. Like, for as bad as the Canucks were, I think they got an awful lot of pretty damn good coverage this year. Uh, no, I agree. And so it's not all it's not all doom and gloom. And so I, I kind of laugh when people come at me on social media about how negative I am. And I just think, like, you see what you want to see. Like, and I think we're all guilty of that in different ways. But, you know, don't sit there and, and come at me and tell me that the coverage is always negative. They're a 29th place team, 29th in offense, 29th in the power play. Like, where are the rays of sunshine? There aren't many. But the ones you can't that be faulted for reporting the news either. Exactly, we're not making it up. And again, this is a savvy hockey market. People realize that. And I again, I, I think in a season like this one that just passed, and you have to remember it was on the heels of a 28th place finish. So I mean, these really have been two of the worst years in Vancouver Canucks history. That, like to me, I don't know if it balanced necessarily, but I do think that there was a fair share of pretty good news stories and pretty good news coverage about a team that was that bad. It's an interesting thing because I think just Canucks fandom and, and the way it kind of spreads for the lower mainland, it's people are going to, you know, die by this team despite how they go in the standings. And, and, and they, they are willing to talk positively about a team that came 29. So it's maybe it just is a kind of symptom of us having so much success over the last so many years. And, and now kind of it's a tough reality for a lot of people to swallow, but hopefully, I mean, you know, like people just kind of come to terms with this team and are able to accept the news a little bit, but. And sorry. And I was saying about you being negative. It's, it's like, you've, you've been on the phone boards for, for however long. And it's literally like seeing the sausage get made and then wanting to eat it after. I mean, like who can really blame you for, you know, having a negative outlook? Like you've, you've literally heard it all, like from the crazy to the sane and uh, everything in between. You've, you've literally had to hear everything. And loved almost every minute of it. it, it exactly. I get that question. You know what, like about my career, I get that question probably more than any other is, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with those people? <laughs> and look, as long as they've got a working phone, they have access to a call-in show like we've got in post-game. And, and that's, you know, of all the things that I've done in my career, post-game shows, hosting the post-game show is probably my favorite. I love being on the front line, the immediate aftermath of trying to, you know, generate and direct conversation about the game and to be one of the first to be able to you know try to figure out why things happened in the game and where it went wrong for the Canucks and some of the critical moments and and that's that's you know if I had my way like that's the the job that I would do for the rest of time uh, other people have their say and obviously the rights have changed and so it's a, an uncertain time 
uh, this summer here in the city of Vancouver and, and, and radio as a whole. But um, you, know, you take it with a grain of salt. You realize that uh, everybody's going to see the game a little differently. And that uh, I, I sort of have a personal thumb rule that if somebody's willing to sit on a hold for more than 20 minutes, I'm not. Right. That's probably not a person that I want to get to uh, on the phone <laughs> board. That if they don't value their time, uh, you know, should I be valuing their time? And so that's just uh, again, the mystery is revealed here about talk radio. Uh, I, I can't speak for my colleagues, but you know, we have a phone board that shows how long a person has been on the board. And right. anytime anybody gets to twenty, I basically just tell the. Uh, and, and it's not like I avoid them, although I guess when it's getting close to 20, maybe I, I steer clear. But, you know, I'll just tell the producer to uh, uh, let them down lightly and uh, let them know that it's probably not going to happen for them. And uh, Hopefully there's enough callers there to, to keep it moving along. Now, some nights, the 20-minute rule won't apply if it's, you know, an absolute hot-button night where everybody wants to have their say and you just can't get to the, the calls as quickly as you'd like. But, uh, um, yeah, if there, if there are guys that are just willing to sit there on hold forever and ever and ever, um, those are the ones that I, I kind of steer clear of. And uh, talking about uh, sports radio, I don't know if, if you're, you can comment on this or anything, but with uh, new Sportsnet radio coming in uh, into effect next year, uh, are you allowed to say or anything if, if you're going to be part of that process? I know there's just, uh, you've got a huge fandom in Vancouver and how excited that like us as Canucks fans and generally your fans in general. I mean, the, the steam that you guys have with the podcast now, it's, it's becoming one of the most followed Canucks, uh, podcasts, uh, and hockey podcasts overall with two insiders with just years and years of experience. I mean, like if, if you guys aren't already in talks, I mean, it, it's foolish by Sportsnet who looks at the new mediums for them not to be talking to you. Because I mean, you're the man on the floor. You've got the your finger on the pulse. Yeah, I don't know what I can or should say, and that's not to build this great mask of intrigue. It's just it's an interesting time, and I am a guy that uh, you know has gone through some things here uh, in the last eighteen months, and and I, I explore. Uh, all opportunities, I suppose, as they come. And so I honestly don't know uh, what my future holds. And I hope that there is a place in the circle for me, uh, whether that's a 1040 or whether it uh, means exploring some other options. But uh, I really don't have anything in the hopper. And I don't want to say too much to give people some indication that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to bluff here. Uh, I've got a lot to figure out over the uh, off season, So it's an interesting time. For me, and just as a you know, a radio junkie, as I said, I grew up uh, around the radio. Uh, it's a fascinating time to see if uh, you know what competition does, and, and is competition going to make 1040 change its ways? You know, it really hasn't been pushed here in this market uh, for a long, long time, and so you know, sometimes competition is a good thing. Uh, I'm curious to see what uh, an Eastern-based company coming into a Vancouver market, you know how they're going to handle that situation and, and, you know, be second to the market. It's difficult uh, in any business, but particularly sports radio, which is already, you know, such a niche product. And I mean, it's not a huge pie to begin with. And, and now they're trying to uh, split that pie. And so, um, again, I, I, I hope that there's a spot for me in the circle somehow, some way. Uh, the podcast is the, the podcast has been a terrific project. We've had a ton of fun doing it. Uh, we have really good response to it. And, you know, at the outset, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I was a guy that 
I had lost a job and wanted to stay relevant in the market and Twitter allowed me to sort of keep a voice and to comment on the Canucks and, and, and stay top of mind that way. And then the province, you know, came along with this offer of, hey, how about a podcast? And, uh, you know, we experimented at the start and tried a couple of different combinations. And uh, it just seems that Botchford and I have hit on something that uh, uh, has, you know, found a following now. And, and we've got a sponsor. And so that's uh, remarkably positive. And uh, hopefully there'll be more of those to come. And uh, I do think that that's, you know, something that the province has to look long and hard at as, you know, kind of the way the business is going. And when we talked about, you know, delivering Canuck content in different ways, uh, I think that that is something that, again, has a little traction now. Uh, and we try to stay relevant in the summer months, even when things go a little bit quiet. You know, we're going to try and keep it up as long as uh, one or both of us uh, isn't on vacation. Um, but with the draft and the expansion draft and free agency, like there's always going to be stuff to talk about with the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, seems to be the, the market out there you know, even through the, the summer months and a long off season. So uh, PatCast has been a terrific project, a lot of fun. And I think we're just sort of scratching the surface with the, the possibilities of, uh, you know, what we can do with that thing. And you you guys probably just went through one of the most boring or, or lack of newsworthy uh, stories for the Canucks. I mean, our, our best story was uh, Padan signing a two-way contract. And yet you guys had an extremely entertaining episode. Like, so it seems like you guys can go through these droughts of, you know, high value news stories and you can still produce like awesome content. So that's me pleading to God and Sportsnet Radio to to get you back on. Well, I will uh, I'll have to uh, hire you as uh, you know, some sort of uh, retainer as my agent, perhaps. Um, no, I, you're not the first to say that. And again, you know, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I do know that Sportsnet's going to have to staff the radio station uh, and hopefully it's local content. I mean, I, I, I do think that would be uh, just such a dangerous way to launch in a market like this one if you're not prepared to to go hyper-local. Like people here, you know how people feel about uh, getting force-fed content from Toronto. And I understand the, the pressures of uh, costs and trying to keep that in line. And, and so you know, I'm curious to see how it all shakes down. I'm In that sense, I'm like everybody else. I mean, I, I'll... I'll probably sample the product and uh, try and figure out what I like and, and maybe what I don't like. Um, but it all has to happen pretty quickly here. Like we're now uh, does, you know, yeah. approaching mid-May. Uh, you know, I think it's launching uh, Labor Day-ish or in and around the early September. And, you know, three weeks after that, the Canucks are going to be playing games. So, ah! uh, sorry. <laughs> Canuck games derive that <laughs> response. <laughs> yeah, yeah. October's a scary month for everybody you, now. You're not count, you don't have a big wall clock that's counting down to the China games? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I do. Oh, okay, good. Well, then yeah. then that shouldn't have come as the shock that it uh, it appeared to. So, uh, again, I, 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 you know, I, I let's just leave it at that. I, I, I just want a, a role in all of this. I hope that there's a place uh, at one of these places for me because I still think I've got the uh, – Lots of good years left in me, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it, as I said earlier, I want to be there, and I do hope that I'm working uh, when the Canucks win the Stanley Cup. But, uh, you know, you kind of feel like you've been through the hell of these last two years. Like, I do want to see as they start to put the blocks in place to start moving this thing in the right direction here. And, and I think they've got some solid pieces. 
my concern is that you know solid pieces <laughs> you know aren't going to match up to the pieces that the Edmonton Oilers have in place for the next 10 to 15 years. So uh, I think that's the danger for the Vancouver Canucks is they can fall in love with their prospect pool, but uh, you know is good enough going to be good enough? And just watching the Oilers and the playoff run that they've had and the emergence of a guy like Drysaddle, like we know what McDavid's going to be like for the next bunch of years, but yeah. uh, is Drysaddle's emergence is what scares the, the crap out of me if I'm the Vancouver Canucks that I just don't know how you're going to counter sort of that one-two punch. Uh, if you're always drafting fifth and getting a good player, but not necessarily a, a great player of any kind. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, like, the last thing I would ever do is wish injury upon anybody, but it does seem to be kind of a part of the game that you have to live with. And had the Caps won against the Penguins, I would have said injury plays a, a larger part. But, you know, it, like you said, like, if we keep drafting fifth overall versus the, the one-two punch that they have, but, you know, there's always the opportunity of uh, McDavid going down, and, and this could be that one year that we have to kind of take opportunity of that. So um, maybe there isn't the highest chance that we can uh, get past those first few rounds, but, you know, maybe some positivity in the future. Who knows? Don't wish injury upon people come on like i said i never would but unfortunately <laughs> it is part of the game sure it is so fast yep. now, right no and i think that's to me that's one of the things that makes the pittsburgh penguins so interesting is you know crosby and all that he went through in this series and, and bounced back and you know he was all right he didn't absolutely put that team on his shoulders but you know last year they win the stanley cup with a backup goaltender and now the backup get you know, he's the main guy this yep. year he's hurt and now it's mark andre Fleury who's the backup although with a hell of a resume but you know, again, to be able to advance through two rounds of the playoffs uh, with a different goalie two years in a row, I, I mean, it's a – and Latang's out of their lineup. Like, mm -hmm. you just got to tip your hat. To, they know how to win. And, and clearly the Washington Capitals, uh, the pursuit of that right recipe and the right people in the right places, uh, that'll continue for them. But, uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, whether it's Crosby and his leadership or that one-two punch of Crosby and Malkin and the you – know, supporting cast there is still pretty damn solid but they just flat out know how to win and not a lot of teams can say that it's true no. i think the connects would kill to have a coach like uh, mike sullivan perhaps <laughs> <laughs> just kind of slowly chuckle out on that one but you know uh jeff jeff we uh 100 love the fact that you came on and talked with us uh is there anything else you want to plug or anywhere uh, people can find you in the next couple of months or uh even just going into the next uh, season uh, I, I'm sure that if when I find out, they'll find out. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I have anything to plug. Um, just trying to turn out a column a week in the province and still doing some work for Canucks Army as uh, the offseason unfolds here. And uh, um, as a freelancer right now, picking up some shifts at 1040. And, uh, you know, we'll see where the summer goes and uh, how things play out. But, uh, um yeah, just doing my thing, and uh, people can find me if they haven't already. Uh, I would suggest starting on Twitter. That's where I'm sort of most visible and most active at Patterson Jeff. You know the drill, Patterson with one T and Jeff with a J. Uh, and, uh, you know, away we go from there. So even though the Canucks are done, uh, the podcast, the podcast will continue uh, through the summer months uh, somewhat sporadically. But I think really between now and free agency will be fairly regular. And then I'm uh, taking a couple weeks in July and watch as most of august off so uh, uh those that are you know that wait by their computer for uh, notification of the the latest podcast uh mid-july to september 1st they'll probably be sorry sorely disappointed gotta don't, take that vacation yeah i don't think it, it, there you go like we're taking vacation then so i would you know suggest you take vacation in those weeks as well and then we can all recon <laughs> we'll all reconvene after labor day and it'll be like uh, nothing ever happened 
<laughs> I, I can't do that. This is a competitive market. You know that, Jeff. Well, there you go. You guys can well, slide, got... you slide in. I just Maybe I said too much. <laughs> I've, I've got some actually uh, some Twitter questions from some of your uh, coworkers at Canucks Army, if, uh, if you don't mind answering. Okay. I think very fair plate. Uh, yeah, you saw a couple I saw of these. I saw a few of them, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, first question from Ryan Beach. Uh, why do you hate music? Yeah, this was one of the first topics that was covered on the podcast. So this is sort of uh, old material. But uh, for people that didn't hear that explanation or uh, are new to either the podcast or, or this podcast, uh, I don't hate music. I, I, I'm being painted with a very broad brush here. And I, in fact, <laughs> I gave you guys, I, I explained it earlier when I said I grew up in a radio household. Like, we had a stereo, but it didn't get used. It collected a lot of dust. I just grew up in a household where the radio was on, and when we were in the car, the radio was on. And and so I I understand music. I actually played the piano for a little while. Uh, I can't sing and try not to. Uh, but it's no, there's no hatred of music here. It's more just it was a love of radio from a young age, and um, it sort of set the wheels in motion for the career that uh, ultimately I, I found myself in. So uh, God bless the musicians of the world. They've They've got a role in all of this, but uh, yeah, I'm not a guy that has like gone out and bought a lot of albums. I've been to a few concerts along the way, but uh, yeah, more of a talk radio guy than music. So, what would uh, if you were to play for the Canucks? What do you think your goal song would be? Um, like the midday show from 10:40 or something. You know, just <laughs> <laughs> just personal branding awareness. Yeah, they would just pipe in like a, a segment of talk talk radio. <laughs> you got to separate yourself from the crowd, right? You got to stand up. Yeah, exactly. That's that's uh, that's still only the second worst uh, Emerson Edoms song. Yeah, no Sinatra, no. I, and and that was a funny thing too. Like, it's kind of a cool idea. It was novel. I, I didn't mind the idea of personalized goal songs, but like they meant nothing to me. Like I'd hear the music and guys along press row would be all fired up because they know the song. I just have this like blank look on my face. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. They all sort of sound the same. Except for Edom, you're right. I, yeah. I forgot you brought that back. I hadn't thought about uh, I hadn't thought about Emerson Edom for a while, to be perfectly honest with you. But certainly hadn't given his goal song a whole lot of thought. I think about him every day. Okay, you know, keeps the mind at uh, keeps the mind at ease. What else do you got? I, I, I got um, <clears throat> from JD Burke. Uh, is a suit and tie appropriate apparel for a practice? Well, it's funny that he would ask that because uh, he knows <laughs> uh, he knows and he knows better. Uh, I rescued him, in fact. Uh, again, it's been great to get to know the guys at Canucks Army and work with them and uh, spend some time over a few beers uh, here and there. Uh, but, you know, again, these guys are finding their way in the in the hockey world, and JD showed up at a Canuck practice, decked out in a suit and tie. And he was the only one. Like some of the TV guys, I guess, uh, will throw a tie on when they're on camera. But generally, for the most part, people... The dress code at Canucks practice or any NHL practice, pretty casual, and it's like a Friday in any office, right? Uh, well, one of the honest, one of the things I love most about radio is no dress code. I and I say that, and I'm not trying to be glib. I love the fact that in this line of work, you know, it's what you sound like on the air that matters, and if that means being as comfortable as possible then they're all for that. So, you know, if you want to wear shorts year-round, if you want to wear a ball cap, whatever. Like, And so there is no dress code in radio. So I'm a pretty casual guy at all times. I go to a Canuck practice, jeans and a T-shirt, whatever. It's not about what I look like. It's the job that I'm doing. 
JD wanted to put the best foot forward. He showed up at a one of his first Canuck practices in a suit and tie, and he looked pretty sharp, but he also stood out from the crowd. And I just suggested to him that, you know, ditch the tie. You can go with the jacket and the, you know, the dress shirt and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just, he looked a little overwhelmed to be at a Canuck <laughs> practice dressed. Like, the players are in sweats and whatnot. Like, when you're talking to them, they're in shorts and, you know, workout gear and stuff. Like, it, it's not a fashion show. Uh, it never is. And so, uh, no, to answer his question, no, a suit and tie, not appropriate to cover a practice. Okay. And last question on the topic of apparel. Will you be wearing jorts to the draft this year? I don't know the back uh, background behind this question. Ah, okay. Well, uh, I'm not <laughs> going to the draft at this stage of the proceedings, uh, unless somebody wants to foot the bill, if there's a, a generous sponsor out there that thinks, hey, i got to get this guy to Chicago to cover the draft. Uh, so... The short answer is no, because I don't think right now, a month away, that I'm actually going to be uh, at the draft this year, which is unfortunate because I love the draft and I was there in Buffalo last year. And over the years, I've probably covered 10 of these things. And, you know, they've developed into just a massive hockey convention of who's who of not just the NHL, but all the junior you know, the players are getting drafted and their junior coaches, and agents, and like really, you name it, anybody that's anybody. One of my favorite parts of the draft is the out of work coaches that are there. You know, resumes in hand, they're looking for work, and they know that uh, all the other hockey people are there. And so you see it every year, uh, you know, guys that are trying to get back into the NHL uh, at the coaching level. So um, no draft, at least not right now. Uh, and then since I don't own jorts, then, again, it's, you know, very so highly unlikely. I just don't see how that would possibly occur. But the backstory there is that last year at the draft, Botchford was there for the province. I was there on behalf of Canucks Army. And Thomas Drantz, who was still working at Canucks Army, but also working at Sportsnet, he was there. Now, Drantz kind of set the dress code. I think J.D. followed in. And Thomas always, he was a believer in, you know, looking good and feeling good. And, and, and it was a job. So he would show up with a, a jacket and a tie on all the time. And, and so maybe that's where, where J.D. got the fashion advice. So Drantz covered the draft for Sportsnet last year and looked pretty sharp doing it. And then when we were all done on Saturday night... We decided we were going to go out on the town in Buffalo, and it was a warm summer night, and I was in shorts, and Botchford was in shorts, and Dranch showed up in, in his jean shorts, you know, his cutoff, so his George. And that was fine. We went out uh, for some wings and had a dinner and a couple of beers, and all was good. Then we were going to try to meet up with some other guys uh, that were covering the draft, and they were downtown Buffalo. Uh, and the place that they were, they were in this sort of, I, I think it was a restaurant, but it may have kind of been the slash restaurant club. Um, anyways, velvet rope out front and Botchard and I, we got through, we were able to, and then they stopped grants because it, no go zone for jorts, like denim cut off. <laughs> they, they had no place. They had no time. They had no place, uh, for a guy in denim cutoffs. And so, uh, the legend of the jorts kind of grew in Buffalo at the draft last year. Um, and that's where that story came from. Uh, but again, that was Grant's. It wasn't me. I have no jorts. So if I was going to the draft in Chicago, I might take shorts, but they would be that. They would, uh, you know, probably cotton. Probably have a cut, like maybe a cuff on them, maybe not, but there'd be a ham, like uh, no denim cutoff. So no. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. We're, we're from Colonus. We're from Kelowna, so we don't understand the whole uh, no jean shorts. Like, ah. you could literally wear jean shorts to, like, the, the mayor's funeral, and you'd fit right in. 
And I can only assume this is what you meant by uh, the narrative of talking about something different, right? This is kind of what you're getting at. This is information nobody's ever heard before. So this is a Black Radio exclusive about jorts. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the story has been told a few times uh, on the podcast. And, and certainly we kind of almost spelled it out mm-hmm. in real time last year. Uh, because the night was going good. Like, we were having fun. Our work was done at the draft in, in the city of Buffalo. Like, and Buffalo. But I think for Buffalo on Saturday night, it seemed to be hopping. And uh, we were going from place to place. And our next stop, and we were excited. We were going to join up with a bigger group. And then, you know, you know what happens. Like, when one of your guys can't get in, well, you can't leave him hanging at the door. So, you know, we were shunned, basically. We had to go across the street to a bar that would accept a guy in jorts. And, and that was, it happens to everyone. Yeah, and, and it was fine. We had a good night. Like, you know, that place was fine too, but we'll never know what, what happened, like, actually, what was behind the velvet ropes because uh, Jorts prevented us from, from getting in. Jorts usually stop people from getting anything yeah. most of the time, too. And or was that, is that how we're ending the episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is going to end on jorts but yeah either way jeff uh we greatly appreciate you coming on and uh hopefully come october we can get you back on to talk about some real hockey talk but uh thank you so much we appreciate it i may be begging to come back on in october if the summer doesn't go well and i'm left out uh you know on, on the side if i'm on the sidelines as all these jobs get filled uh, i may be banging on your door let me back on the on the black red and yellow podcast never no i know we're going to be hearing a lot of you next year all right well i hope so i'll trust you All right, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.